welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raylia Liu, CREI Fertility Specialist, Gynecologist and Director of Women's Health Melbourne. Hi, Raylia. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right. Welcome. Before we begin today's show, we have a little favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, please rate it five stars and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It really helps other listeners find the show and the resources we offer. We're planning an advice episode where Raylia will answer audience questions. Email yours to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Don't worry, we'll keep all the queries anonymous. Now today we're talking about tubal, what is it Raylia? Tubal factor infertility. Tubal factor infertility. What is tubal fat? Maybe, or should we say, what are what tubes? What are the tubes? <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about here is the fallopian tubes. Yeah. Um, while many women are familiar with basic gynecological anatomy, basic pelvic anatomy, um, we thought we might just talk a little bit about what the fallopian tubes are and why they're important, and then to address tubal factor infertility. And this was actually a request from one of our listeners um, to go into this in more detail. So um, hopefully we'll clarify some issues that might be relevant to lots of people. I think that's something to keep in mind is we do we do see all the emails and we will always address the issues either in their own episode or in an episode of multiple topics. So what are the fallopian tubes? Um, They are sometimes called also the uterine tubes or the oviducts, and they're structures in the pelvis that transport the egg or the ova from the ovary when it's ovulated to the uterus every month. And in the presence of sperm, fertilisation can occur and the egg becomes an embryo, and that is what implants in the uterine lining to become a baby. Uh, So the anatomy of the fallopian tubes, they kind of... I, I kind of think they look a bit like sea creatures, like anemones. They've got this beautiful fimbrial end, which are like finger-like, frond-like projections. Yeah. And they're pink and they're very beautiful when you look at I think they're very beautiful when you look at them <laughs> laparoscopically. Um, they look like flowers kind of thing. So it's basically like a sea anemone. Yeah, a little bit like a sea anemone at the end, and that's kind of is that to kind of coax. Yeah, they kind of they kind of um, we're, we're, all this, doing, we're doing a bit of a hand yeah, movement. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have a rhythmic. It's like when kind of your hand and your fingers are the kind of the fronds, and they they have little rhythmic motions that encourage the egg to enter the tube. Yeah, and they also secrete different um, proteins and and different chemo attracting factors that encourage the egg, tell the egg where to go. So okay. Having a healthy fallopian tube, especially the fimbri, mm-hmm. um, is really important to coax the egg in the right direction down the tunnel towards the uterus to the yeah. cavity where um, the baby's going to implant. Um, we also um, need the tube to be working. There's a 10 to 13 centimetre kind of length to the tube. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very tiny in diameter. So yeah. um, it's actually only a couple of um, millimetres, less than a centimetre wide. And at mm-hmm. the narrowest part, it's very, very tiny. Um, remembering the egg is microscopic. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So the egg itself is, um, it's about 150 microns in diameter, which is kind of like 100 times smaller than a poppy seed. Okay. So we're talking about a very small structure. 
the tube is lined with special tissue called mucous membrane mm-hmm. and the mucous membrane of the tube is, is, is very complicated. It's got lots of little folds and what are known as papillae and they actually create and secrete factors into the tube that are nutritious for the egg and the embryo at that stage of development. So when we in IVF started to develop culture media to grow embryos outside of the body, what we were trying to do is mimic um, the environment of the fallopian tube. And especially in sequential media, we know that the secretions in the tube change as they go down the tube and um, nature is, is always infinitely cleverer than we are yeah. and it creates the, the ideal environment for an embryo to flourish. So when a tube's damaged or when there's inflammatory changes within the tube, mm-hmm. that can have very complicated downstream consequences when yeah. um, the embryo is not getting what it needs to develop and the egg's not getting what it needs for nutrition. So how, how would that damage occur? Uh, so look, the damage can occur at different places within the tube. The tube, tubal anatomy, it's the fimbri we talked about are really important for capturing so the, the eggs. So then the anemone captures the eggs. Yeah, but then there's there's little different areas of the tube that are different and there's muscle layers that contract and help the, help push the, um, the egg down the tube in the right direction. So there's the fimbri and then there's um, after the, the fimbrial end, there's kind of what's known as... Um, the infundibulum, and then, you know, there's the next part of the tube, which is known as the ampulla. And and so, look, those each of those little areas have a role. And then there's a tiny little area called the isthmus, which collect, connects kind of that, that longer bit, the ampulla, um, to the uterus. And damage can occur from different processes at different areas of the fallopian tube. And I always kind of describe the fallopian tube although it's probably quite simplistic to do this, as the highway on which sperm and egg meet. Okay. And if there's a blockage of the fallopian tube, yeah. um, then that can mean that sperm and egg just can't get together. Mm-hmm. But if there's a disease process within the fallopian tube that's inflammatory or a partial blockage, that can mean that sperm and egg can get together but an embryo can't then make it to the uterus. So really simply... The fallopian tube is the pathway between the egg and the sperm meeting. And if there's a problem with that pathway, they're not going to meet. Yeah. And it's also, so it's not just like a a pipe or a tunnel. It's also a really important, you know, it has a really important secretory function to create the environment that's ideal for both fertilization and also for early embryo development. Right. Um, And that's what we try and mimic in the IVF lab. Okay. Uh, so, so those first five days that the egg and sperm are together, that's mimicking the same environment that would be? In the tube, because yeah. the tube has fluid that contains things like calcium, sodium, chloride, glucose, which is a sugar, proteins and lactic acid that is the environment that or creates the environment that's ideal yeah. for the developing embryo and the egg and favours fertilisation and then favours development of a healthy embryo. So how, how, how do blocked tubes happen? Um, so tubes can become blocked in many different ways. Yeah. And, Are um, any of them preventable? 
Yeah, so sometimes they're congenitals. You can actually be born with blocked tubes or tubes that don't work, just like you can be born with problems of any structure of the body. So some people are born without a fallopian tube um, or with an abnormal fallopian tube. That's probably quite an uncommon cause, Mm -hmm. but it, it does exist. And sometimes blocked tubes happen because we decided that we might have had enough in terms of having babies and then we can change our minds. So um, ah. <laughs> some, women, some women have chosen to have their tubes clipped yep. as a form of contraception and, um, and then sometimes there's a bit of decision or regret there. So it can be what we call iatrogenic or doctor-caused. Right. Um, but that, they're, they're things that you know about and you find out about it on an ultrasound or you find or you know very well if you've had your tubes clipped but things like having an infection so infective causes mm-hmm. of tubal blockage are quite common so th- and we have an episode of the podcast on chlamydia which is one of the really important culprits yeah um, having chlamydia um, and a silent pelvic inflammatory disease process can result in blocked tubes but other Bacteria like mycoplasma, which has been under-recognised as a cause of an STI, a sexually transmitted infection. So is mycoplasma its own STI that we've just not talked about? Yeah, it, it's, it's, one, it's been a bit controversial because it hasn't be, really been recognised as an STI, but we know now that it can cause tubal disease. Mm-hmm. Gonorrhea, which yeah. is, of course, um, another bacterial STI. And this is important when in the years before having babies that we're careful and we use barrier contraception <laughs> um, in, in new relationships, yes, yes. especially in a non-monogamous context. Yes. Tuberculosis, not common in Australia, but yeah. certainly for, for women coming from overseas where it's more common can cause blocked tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a cause of what's called Asherman syndrome, which is not related to the tube, but it can be an infection of the uterus that can cause problems getting pregnant. So, so they're the main infective causes, yeah. but you can also have inflammatory causes. So not an infection, but a process within the pelvis where inflammation has happened. Yeah. And that's things like endometriosis, mm-hmm. which is really common, affects one in eight women. Yeah. Or endosalpingiosis. Yeah. Endosalpingiosis is um, a, a kind of endometriosis, a kind of inflammation. Okay. More, more affecting the fallopian tube. Yeah. And you can actually get microadhesions within the tube yeah. um, for women who have endometriosis causing blocked tubes. You can also just have general inflammation in the pelvis which can distort the anatomy by having one structure stick to another mm-hmm. and that can distort the fimbri, it can distort other parts of the fallopian tube. Ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. So if a woman's had a pregnancy that for whatever reason, this is kind of like a chicken and egg thing because sometimes an abnormal tube can predispose to an Uh. ectopic pregnancy because there might be sluggish progress of the embryo down the tube if it's an abnormal tube or a partially blocked tube. Mm -hmm. Um, But then if you do have a pregnancy that just by random bad luck implants in the fallopian tube, that can damage the fallopian tube. One way that we deal with ectopic pregnancy is to remove a fallopian tube, but it's also reasonable to try and save a fallopian tube and deal with an ectopic pregnancy in other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those ways is to give a chemotherapy-like agent to help resolve that pregnancy, and that's a fairly common management option. It's called methotrexate. It's complicated, and ectopic pregnancy management is always something that I would discuss with a woman and um, take her preference seriously into consideration in how we manage that. It is an emergency situation because Mm -hmm. the fallopian tube, unlike the uterus, isn't designed to expand 
to um, facilitate the growth of a pregnancy and it's a really vascular structure. It's got lots of blood supply and a burst fallopian tube is actually an emergency because a woman can have serious internal bleeding. So we, we, not everybody's suitable for trying to manage things conservatively. Sometimes the right thing to do is to remove the tube. Um, But when a woman has had more conservative medical management of an ectopic pregnancy, sometimes the tube, just by having that pregnancy there, is damaged. Mm. And we know that women who've had an ectopic pregnancy are at a higher risk of having another ectopic pregnancy. Okay. So I always, um, sorry to, to I know, harp I on about like it. I feel like we're going off track a little bit. I know, but look, I just just um, for any listeners out there who may have had an ectopic pregnancy, um, really important that if you do fall pregnant again, um, that we monitor in early pregnancy and just make sure at an early stage that we know the pregnancy is in the right place. So what I often do in my practice is I do an early ultrasound even before the stage where we might expect to see a fetal heartbeat. So we don't yet know if the pregnancy is going to be safe and ongoing, but I always do an ultrasound um, a little bit early just to check that the pregnancy is in the right spot. Okay. Uh, another cause is if you've had surgery. Yeah, okay. So any kind of surgery? Any kind of surgery. You can get what's called adhesions. Yeah. So you can get scar tissue in the pelvis after yeah. any surgery. You might have had your appendix out. Yeah. You might have had a surgery for um, an ovarian cyst or another yeah. um, gynecological issue, endometriosis yeah. surgery, not related to getting pregnant. And you can have scar tissue form in the pelvis after surgery called adhesions and that can cause fallopian tube damage or blockage. Yeah. And then, of course, you can have blockage that's reversible, just, um, you know, what we call acquired blockage, things like skin cell buildup, mucus plug buildup, yeah. having a little polyp near the opening of the tube yeah. or within the tube and that can cause yeah. blockage. And how would that be diagnosed? Uh, often as a part of a workup of trying to work out why someone's not getting pregnant, we do fallopian tubal imaging. Yeah. And that can be done by x-ray, which is called HSG, hysterosalpingogram, or it can be done, and I tend to favour this method, by ultrasound, known as HICO-C. The reason I prefer HICO-C to HSG is, firstly, it's a dynamic investigation, so you get more information than just what's going on in the tube. You get an ultrasound assessment of, of the pelvis overall, and it's much uh, more likely to diagnose whether a tube is spasming versus being blocked. Yeah. Uh, but also it doesn't involve any radiation, so there's no radiation exposure, it's just ultrasound. Uh, and um, you can see whether someone's ovulating and whether it yeah. might not be the right time to do that investigation in that cycle. There's lots of advantages. Uh, in terms of the flush, there have been studies demonstrating that just by flushing... So this is how to fix the problem? Well, it might be therapeutic, yeah, it can fix okay, the issue. so if you've got flush tubes, there are a few options on how it can be resolved. Yeah, so even if there's no serious issue, but if there's just a bit of mucus, a bit of skin cell buildup, mm-hmm. just giving the tubes a flush out, whether yeah. that's by imaging or um, after a, a surgery like a laparoscopy, yeah. um, there have been studies that show an increased pregnancy rate in the three months after that flush. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, anecdotally, I often do do laparoscopic surgery, clean up a bit of endometriosis, yeah. give the tubes a good flush. Yeah. And even in cases where there hasn't been 
other issues, other pathology, other concerns like endo, mm-hmm. in the months after a laparoscopy, we do see an increase in pregnancies. Because everything's just been cleared out. It's just been a good old pelvic What do you flush, flush with? Uh, look, there's a bit of controversy as to is one flushing media better than another? Uh, there have been lots of studies looking at uh, lipiodol, which is a poppy seed oil. Mm-hmm. Um, there are issues with lipiodol as well, and we can talk about that as almost another episode in its own Let's right. not talk about it today. But um, in my opinion, it's not what you flush with, it's whether you do a good job of it. Okay. And, you know, I can tell you that when you flush at laparoscopy, we just use saline most of the time, which is salty water, yep. and we see good results. Yeah. So... The advantage of flushing at laparoscopy compared to under imaging is because your patient is asleep. You can really flush. You can do a really super thorough flush. It wouldn't be unusual for me to put half a litre of fluid through. Okay. So uh, that's that's not something that a patient would be able to tolerate in an outpatient setting under imaging. It's just too uncomfortable yeah. uh, and it's just not, not what anyone would do. So when you have a flush in... An imaging context, you'll probably have about 20 mils, yeah. so very different. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by imaging? Like when you have an, an HSG x-ray okay. or when you have an ultrasound, yeah. hyco C. So what happens, I guess, if we do find blocked tubes? Yeah. Well, you, there, are, there are, and this is very surgeon dependent, there are methods of doing microsurgical tubal re establishment of patency laparoscopically. Okay. They're not overly successful. Yeah. Um, but it's it can be tried. Um, you can also help the tubes work better by removing things like cysts attached to the tubes, cysts on the fimbri and giving a good flush at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I was personally trained in open microsurgery of the fallopian tubes when I was doing my CREI fellowship training and we used to do that more often, which is an open operation Mm -hmm. where we have the operative microscope and we take out the damaged segment of the tube and using a very, very fine suture, a microsurgical technique, rejoin the two ends of the tube, taking out that damaged section. I very rarely do that in my practice. Yep. Uh, because of a couple of different things. One, the government under Medicare no longer support the procedure. Yep. So they've withdrawn the item number, mm-hmm. meaning that it's a patient-funded procedure and it's very, very expensive. Yep. Uh, and in terms of the operation itself, it's extremely invasive. It's like having a caesarean. You have to do an open cut in the tummy. So it's not laparoscopic. It's not laparoscopic and it takes about a month to recover. Yeah. And compared to IVF, which is kind of like a tubal get around, um, IVF is much safer and less invasive and less expensive. Okay, so why wouldn't you? So it's very rare. Occasionally someone might have a fundamental... I guess, issue with having IVF, Mm -hmm. like a religious belief or or something like that. And they might request tubal reanastomosis, open microsurgical technique, but it's it's not a commonly performed procedure because of just how invasive it is. Uh, It's... It's more common when when women are thinking about these kind of procedures that they just are worried and frightened of IVF because... 
in IVF, what we do, I call it a fallopian tubal bypass yeah. because we take the eggs outside skip, of the body. You skip body. that stage. We skip that stage yeah. and all of that embryo development that's happening in the fallopian tube happens in the lab. Yeah. Uh, and our labs are now, you know, Melbourne IVF where I do my IVF procedures. You mm-hmm. know, it's such an amazing lab with absolute, you know, kind of uh, fastidious uh, attention to the embryo culture environment mm-hmm. that... Uh, we get very good outcomes. Yeah. And you've got to remember that women who have blocked fallopian tubes, especially if they're relatively young, if it's the only reason they're not getting pregnant, yeah. as an IVF kind of group of patients are actually an excellent prognosis group of patients because IVF itself is intrinsically very good at dealing with the problem. Yes. It's a targeted therapy and I expect them to do very well if that's the only concern. So um, it's very different than if somebody has, and obviously it depends on why the tubes are blocked, but, you know, it's very different to if somebody has poor egg quality or a really serious male factor infertility where there's intrinsic issues with the egg and sperm themselves or the embryos themselves. Um, If the the problem is tubal blockage... It's actually, there's quite a few options to get around it. Absolutely. And IVF is a pretty good solution. Yeah. And I would say that to women who are frightened of IVF for various reasons... Um, it isn't an important point to know that IVF, as we practice it today, is on the most part very safe yeah. and is less invasive and with better success rates than some of the other surgical techniques that we've talked about. One more thing to talk about is hydrosalpinks. Okay, so what's that? So a hydrosalpinx is a damaged fallopian tube yeah. that's in, in a way blocked but also can be filled with toxic fluid. Okay. And the reason that hydrosalpinx is important is that this is the one case mm-hmm. where instead of just going to IVF and doing a tubal bypass, yeah. we need to remove that fallopian tube. That okay. fallopian tube is doing more harm than good. And in a woman who has one good tube and one hydrosalpinx, the flow of the backwash, really, of yeah. fluid from the hydrosalpinx into the uterus. Will be affecting the, the other tube. Correct. Okay. So, we, so we all have two tubes and if we have hydrosalpinx in one, it will be affecting the fertility of the other. Yeah. and even or the with, health of the other. Exactly. And even with IVF, when we put an embryo back inside the uterus, um, if there's a hydrosalpinx there, it will reduce the chance of that embryo being able to implant. So that that is a case where you should have surgery before IVF yeah. to remove that damaged tube. And what is hydro, something to do with water, I guess? What is hydrosalpinx? Well, sal, salpinges is, a, is another word for fallopian tube. Okay. So hydrosalpinx means fluid-filled tube, hydros like water. But yeah. it's not water, it's mucky, inflammatory, really... Um, fluid. Toxic fluid. Okay. Thank you for listening to um, our episode of Locked Up. For more information about today's conversation, visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and check out our show notes. You can join our listener community through the socials. Look for Women's Health Melbourne or Dr Raylia Lou. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate our growing audience. To help us empower and educate more women with real information about fertility please give us a positive review on any platform you're listening to the podcast it really helps others to find us we'll be back with another episode soon 